It's another day here at the Comeback Team Studios. This is your host, Beck Lover, and I have a guest that I'm excited to talk about today. He's on the show, former Iraq police dog handler, security corrections officer in maximum level five, penitentiary. You can imagine the stories he has just from that. He uh, has been through hell and back in his own personal health, and he's going to get into that a little bit later in his recovery. They told him he'd never walk again. He went from being anti-weed to pro-weed, and he's going to let us know why. I have the interesting, the exciting, the motivational, inspirational Rob Farlow on the show. Welcome, brother. Hey, thank you, Beck. I appreciate you having me, and uh, it's an honor to be here. And like I said, I watch, I admire you from a distance. I've been watching you on YouTube, and uh, you do a great job, man. And it's I'm really honored that you have me on the show. Thank you. Rob, the honor is always mine with my guests that come on. Uh, I love people like you, man. People who just yep. have a smile on their face. I know you've seen some dark days in your life. We spoke off camera a little bit about it. I don't like to get too many details. You know that because I like to hear it on the show. No scripts, sure. no bullshit. Mm -hmm. And um, let's open it up, man. You got a, you got a very interesting story. And uh, and I want to... All right. Well, I want to hear about it, man. So where does your life start? Where does Rob Farlow's life start? And kind of walk us how you got into involved in the Iraq war. I arrived November 27th, 1974. And I was born in Pennsylvania Hospital in South Philadelphia. I grew up in South Philadelphia in a row house until I was about 15. Uh, we relocated to South Florida. Ironically, around the same weekend, Hurricane Andrew came through and wiped everything out. <laughs> the minute <laughs> so you guys got luck. there. Yeah, I yeah, basically that's bad. It's been par for the course in my life. You know, we get there right before the hurricane. So you start Prior in South, to, you start in South Philly, like the yep, freshmen of Bel Air. Then to South Florida. But you don't go to you don't go to Bel Air. You go to Florida. No, no Bel Air. I thought Florida was Bel Air though. It might as well have been for me. Did you like that show? As somebody was, as somebody from Philly, did you like that show, Freshmen of Bel Air? Yeah. Well, you know what? Anytime a Philly guy does well or a gal, whatever, I'm their biggest cheerleader. Cause I love Philly. I'm their biggest cheerleader, you know? So, but, uh, growing up in South Philly, my father, uh, when I was about four, got convicted of murder and was in New Jersey and was sent to Trenton state prison. He, he was a, he was a racketeer. He was a gambler. He ran card games and extorted people. He was like, you know, not, he wasn't full blooded Italian. So he wasn't in the mob, but he was like, you know, a a knock around guy you'd call in the neighborhood. And uh, he was actually, he was actually Jewish. My mother was Italian. So I had both of those in me. So maybe that's why I'm so, I'm so unique. I have a whole different outlook on life because of the conflict in my head of the Jewish and the Christianity. But I used to go visit him. They used to have me, uh, his girlfriend would pick me up and take me to Trenton State Prison and I was at when I was about nine or 10 years old and I was scared to death and these big keys and doors would come down and and open and these corrections officers and they would pat me down like I was, you know, a bad person and make me go through a metal detector. And how old were you? In my mouth. Yeah. How old so were you? I was really, huh? How old were you when he when you went to jail? I was about when I first went to see him about 10 years old. So and you, then you it remember. Being like so you every remember. Other month. You remember going to visit him, jail. Oh yeah, I hated it. The process. I hated it, Beck. I hated it because it was just. I looked in there and I just couldn't believe that human beings lived in in a cage like that. And 
I was, I loved my dad, of course, and I felt terrible that I would have to leave and leave him there in that place, you know? And I really didn't like being patted down and sent through a metal detector and basically treated like a bad person when I didn't do anything wrong. So I, as a young man, like when my mom would say, you're going next week, I would try anything and everything to get out of it. So I didn't have to go see him. Okay. And it wasn't, it wasn't because you didn't want to see your dad. It was just that environment was depressing. You didn't want to, you didn't want to have to see that he's in that situation. Do you remember? I mean, did you shed tears when you, when you see him, would you shed tears? Do you remember as a young boy, 10 years old? He wouldn't allow something like that. He wouldn't allow me to do something like that in public. Never. Never. It would have made him angry. No. Oh, he would have, he would have just grabbed me and pulled me close and said, Hey, you know, be knock strong. it off. Don't you yeah, know, be strong. Don't show any emotion. You know, stuff like that. So he would have said that. He would have told me, you know, get a hold of yourself. But I used to cry. I used to cry about. Well, I used to cry about having to go there because I also didn't like. I don't know. I just didn't like strange people like touching me and shit. You know, it was like, you know, they would, you know, because I was a kid. So it was. How kinda, long did they uh, give him? Oh, he well, he got life with no parole, but at the fifteen-year eight mark. His, he got a um, what they call a um, a clemency where they took away the life without parole and granted him life with parole. And then he got he got out at 15 years, eight months and never went back. Wow. So he was never supposed to get out. Never. Nope. And I was it, I don't know if, it, if it's personal or not, but I mean, the person, the family, I mean, was it a street thing? Was it personal? It was a, it was a, here's what happened. It was a drug ripoff. And. He went with a guy and they were doing drugs themselves, of course, and they were going to go rip somebody off. And I guess him and the guy got in an argument. They were both drinking. They were both on drugs or what have you. And my dad shot him in the head in the car and then tried to hide the body. He got caught with the body in the trunk, basically. That's what happened. So as a retaliation to that, the, the, the person that died, he, uh, his, his uncle uh, had my house firebombed and my sister was died in that, in that firebombing when I was a little boy, my older sister was murdered as a result of my father's uh, crime against another family. They got so angry. They firebombed our row house about a week later and my sister perished. Damn bro. So they took revenge. They took blood. They took blood. Yeah. So that was very traumatic for me because one day I woke up and, the girl that used to boss me around and dress me wasn't there anymore. I didn't have a drill sergeant. And now, now I'm the, you know, I'm the oldest one. And I'm like, wow, I wasn't ready for this. You know, fuck man. <laughs> so, how old, how old was she? May she rest in peace. How old was she, man? She was about, she was about 10. Fuck man. Fuck my mom up really bad. Really oh, bad. Are you kidding so, me? Um, so my father got life for that. My sister got death and the other guy got death. So my mom said, that's it. We're moving with grandmom. Grandmom left a couple years early, went to South Florida. We're loading up the truck and we're going to, you know, South Florida. And that's what we did. So we get to South Florida. Hurricane Andrew comes through, destroys everything. I graduate about a year later. And then I was just, I was born with this affliction called wonderlust. When I was a little boy, I would look at the globe and I would think, what are those people in Albania? What are they doing? What's in their refrigerator? I want to sneak in and look. Not much. What, do they talk? <laughs> huh? what do they talk about at the kitchen table? What time do they go to bed? What, what do they watch on TV? What do they eat? 
What God do they pray to? I want to know. I want to see it. So I said, where can I see this? Where, where, you know, where can I do this? I don't have any money and I didn't have the grades to go to no college. So nor did I have the attention span. And I said, you know what? I went, I said, the military, you know, that's a way I can give me discipline and I could see the world and I want to travel. And so I went to the different recruiters and um, the army, the army, Marines, all that. And I, I, heard their spiel. And then I, I, I got the, the guy from the Navy had the best package. He had, he had the, the best, best pitch. Pe- huh? He had the best pitch. He had the best pitch. Exactly. This is what he did. He didn't tell me about all this college GI bill and all this other shit. Right. He pulled me into his office and he said, look, sit down. And he went into this bottom cabin and it was a, it was a picture book, big one of pictures. And he flipped through them, and there was Polaroids of him and all these hot chicks all over the planet. <laughs> I mean, he's in Sweden, Amsterdam, Tokyo, Korea, and I'm like, sign me up. He's like, sex sells. That's it. <laughs> he's like, you and might get sure. blown up. Listen, you might get blown it. up. You might lose your fucking it. legs. You might get fucking your brains blown out. But yeah. in between combat, you're going to yeah. hang out with these girls all over the world. Yeah. And I love exotic women. I love exotic places because I just learned I try to be at home everywhere. I'm at home everywhere around the world. You put me anywhere. I'm at home. I lived in Japan, Asia, the Middle East, Washington State, California. Put me anywhere and I'm at home. I try to be that way everywhere. So let me let me backtrack a little bit. Yeah. Do you feel obviously what you went through, man? Honest to God, I'm, I'm like I'm just. Brother, I know what it's like to lose family. I've lost a lot of family. Sure, it's horrible. And mm-hmm. the circumstances and all that, do you think that it definitely impacted your ability to perform in school, man? Do you feel like you went through a depression as a child? To the best as of your child, knowledge. No. I didn't go through depression as a child because I kinda I didn't stop I didn't stop long enough to let it hit me. I was always moving back. So I figure if I'm a moving target, it can't hit me. Just don't look back. Yeah, and I just kept moving. Depression can't hit you if you're moving. So boom, in the Navy, boom, travel, boom, overseas, boom, boom, schools here, there, going back and forth. You know, I just kept moving. So it never had a chance to get me. It got me later. It all adds up. You know, it all accumulates over the years. But no, not at that time. Did you get into any type of substance abuse at that age? Younger, before no, the military? Not, Did you ever drink? Did you do drugs? Did you do any of that stuff? No, I didn't. Do, I, I experimented with marijuana when I was 16. I took two puffs off of it. I didn't get high, and it it burned my throat, and that was it. And I just never touched it. I was a wrestler. I never, you know, drugs were bad. I didn't, I, you know, I, I stayed away from that shit, you know? And I had all the scared straight I wanted from seeing my dad in that in that, in that that rotten prison. So I knew... You know, if you screw up in life, you end up in those, you know, you end up in jail or you end up dead. And I was like, guess what? I want to do something different. So I'm going to go the other way. And that's what I did. You took the positive out of those very bad situations. Oh, yeah. I think the best role models are, are, are the are the worst people in your life because they teach you how not to do something. They're the best damn role models. Everybody's looking for, I need, I need, an, I need a, you know, somebody to mentor that's, you know, this success. No, just look at all the losers around you. They'll teach you how to, they'll teach you how to do it right. Just do the opposite. <laughs> it's not that hard. Scare the shit out of you. Right? I don't want to be like that. Yeah. 
Yeah. But no matter what, so, you can always come back. That's what I say. Yeah. As long as you never mm-hmm. give up, man. You know, and we'll get yeah. there. And, and that's what I did. I joined so the you Navy. Enlist, and, you enlist so in the Navy. Now, enlist. now he got you. You know, he closed you, but it was like he was pitching Close timeshare. He got you nice. Yep. So, so you you go in and, and, and then, you know, tell us a little bit about in the beginning when you go into the military and were you like, okay. fuck, did you ever feel like, fuck, I made the wrong decision? Or I Oh, mean, my God, yeah. About yeah. 10 minutes after I got there. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to me. I got there on, listen to how dumb I am, how patriotic yet dumb. I joined on July 3rd. So that means I arrived in Chicago on July 4th, which nobody's there on the base. It's a day off, right? So the only people that were there are our drill instructors, our company commanders. All those guys were the guys that got screwed on that day, on their day off and had to come in and deal with us. So all their families were having barbecues without them. And these were our, our company commanders. And I remember there was a Navy, a Navy company commander, a drill instructor. I, as soon as we got off the bus, you had to put your feet on the footprints. And I stepped on the footprints and he looks at me, this big old crusty motherfucker. And he goes, why the fuck did you join my Navy on July the 4th? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> And he was spitting on me and everything. You had to be like, where's the girls? What the fuck? Huh? Where's the girls? I saw the pictures. When do we ship it out? Oh, my God. I was like, I was like, oh, what the fuck did I do to myself? Did it remind you? Did it remind you of jail? Huh? Did anything about that experience remind you of being in prison? I it's it was in the beginning I'm talking about, you know, the training, the 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 breakdown and then they reprogram you. I mean, what, what, what was that like, man? Were you I mean, did it ever, I mean, it's not easy to do that shit. My, I, honestly, I respect fucking military, man. You got to be like, you're, you're fucking, you got to be a strong person, man. You, you know why? It's like prison. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you, it's the same mentality. Because they say in prison, you either, you either buck or you program. Well, if you program, that means you do all the little things they want you to do to get all the good little points so you can get out. You know, you, you know, rehabilitate. In the military... You're, you're not going to, they'll throw you in jail. You'll, they'll give you a dishonorable discharge, ruin your life. So you shut the fuck up and you learn to program and do what they tell you. And, you know, and sooner or later you get up in the, in the ranks and now you can call your shots a little bit and then you get comfortable, you know, but the, the first, I, the first four or five years. Yeah. You know, I thought my, <laughs> I thought my name was like, uh, somebody like somebody, Somebody clean up the fucking, you know, the floor. Somebody clean up the fucking toilet. You know, that was my that was my name. Somebody I was the somebody the first, you know, two years. So <laughs> that was, you know, but you pay your dues, man, and you move up. So you end up it builds being, character. What you end up training you end up training to be a dog handler from the get-go? Or oh well, here's what happened with that, how that reared its head. Now what year so are we I'm talking there- about here? What years are we talking about? What years? We're talking in the mid-90s. Okay. At this time, and 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 they say um, I was at first. They said uh, they wanted I was trained as a mechanic at first for my like first three years. I was doing mechanics, and they had this. This was coming into like 2000, and they had this big push for military police. 
So all the people that were stuck in these jobs that were like overfilled, they tried to encourage them to go into underfilled jobs like Navy, you know, mastered arms, they're called military police. So they came to me. I, they said, are you interested in changing your job and doing another four years? I was coming up on my time. They threw some money at me, like 15 grand. And the next thing you know, boom, I changed my job and I was off to the police academy. I remember calling my little brother and I'm like, Mark, you'd never believe it. They just changed my job. You never believe what I'm going to be. He said, what? I said, a cop. He said, I just lost all respect for you, Robert. <laughs> so I, I go to Lackland Air Force Base in the academy. And lo and behold, I end up graduating number one in my class. Wow. which was crazy because I've never been number one at anything. Now you're, so, you're going for an MP position in the Navy yeah. or, or the, the whole military. I mean, how does that work for people that are not, you know, military? You Were you an MP just for the Navy or was it? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. I was, I was a military MP for the Navy. Yes. A <clears throat> Navy okay. policeman. Yes. So each so, branch of the military has their own MPs. Yes. Yep. Correct. Okay. Has their own, has their own branch of the military police corps. Yep. And I guess that makes sense so, because you'd have to know the protocol of that sure. branch. You'd have mm -hmm. to have lived that life a little bit, understand the rules. Sure. Otherwise, how are you going to be an effective MP? Yeah, exactly. Because not only do you enforce the law as a Navy uh, police officer, you would enforce Navy rules and regulations. So those, you better damn well know them if you're going to enforce them. So if I'm trying, if I'm on an army base as a Navy policeman, I don't know. I mean, I don't know all the army's little intricacies on their uniform regulations. So it would be very, it would be impossible for me to do that. So, you know, obviously each service has their own respective uh, military police security, anti-terrorism force protection uh, groups. Keep going brother. Talk. So tell us. So, right. so, so you, you ended up doing the training. One number one. Okay. Number one, honor graduate. I got certificates. I got two letters of accommodation. It was like, it blew my mind. Cause I was like, I don't know for something. I just took to it like a horse to water because I, I, I'm just, I don't know. I'm just real good at talking to people and connecting. So all these like crime scenes that they would do, these murders and domestic violence and drugs, I would just go in there and role play and I would like make the characters come out of character and stuff. Like I would completely talk them into going some into another scenario. Like they want to escalate and see what we do. And I just had a knack to just bring them down because I just figured I'll just treat them with respect. And if I give it, they'll give it back. And they did. And I was, and they, my instructors loved it. And I was like, wow, I didn't you know, realize it was that difficult just communicating with people. And apparently it is because guys go out there like robots and you know, they can't relate to people and there's, you know, and now you have problems. So I see it, you see it going on now in America. So not, I graduated number one. Okay, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I graduate no. number one, and the commanding officer says to me, Mr. Farlow, you're an honor graduate. You get you get to pick a specialty school. I said, really? She said, yeah, yes, yeah. we're gonna we oh. we're gonna give you a, a secondary specialty. Do you like? Do you want a bodyguard uh, to be an admiral? Do a personal protection school? Do you want to be an investigator? We'll send you to investigator school. Do you want to be a um? Uh, they had something else I forget, or do you, or canine core? I'm like canine core. Wow. That's interesting. And she was like, yeah, she goes, they have the Academy across the street. I'll have the driver bring you over there and you could watch one day. And if you like it, come back and tell me. And it's yours. I went over, I saw it. I saw the dogs do demos and do bite work. 
And I just, I looked at it and I just, from that point, when I saw that demonstration, I said, that's me. That's my life. That's, I just knew it. That was my life. Did just you, did you dogs. have dogs growing up as a kid? I mean, did oh, you have- Oh yeah. My, my mother used to breed Dobermans and I come from a, you know, a very, uh, my, my mother's, you know, she, I, my mother ran a squirrel over one time and I, I looked in the rear view mirror and I'm like, she's like, did I kill it? I'm like, no, but it was dead. I was lying to her. And she, she said, no, I did kill it. She, my mom would have to pull over the car and just have, she can't drive. Like if she's like, that's how much she loves animals. That's how caring she is. So I grew up with that. You understand? So, um, so from there I went to canine school. That was three months long. And that's given uh, at Lackland Air Force Base, the Department of Defense School. That's Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, Coast Guard, Customs, DOD. You have other foreign services sending uh, dog handlers to school. Yeah, we had Colombian Army canine guys that were going through school and their dogs all spoke Spanish and Spanish commands. So they had to make sure that you didn't end up with a Spanish dog if you're an American. Like if I went and they assigned me a dog, I got to make sure it's not from the Spanish pool. Cause I'll be, I'll be trained to tell and sit and, and it won't listen cause it's trained on Spanish. So it was just funny. So total, how many years, you know, in there in training sounds. How did, many years is it full time? You know, how many years? Yeah. Were you in the military total? Oh, with the dogs total in my career, your whole career. How long were you in the military? Oh, 20 years. It's a long time, man. Yeah. Well, I had active and reserve time for 20 years. I had 12, I had 12 straight years of active duty. 12 straight years. Yep. Talk to us so, about when things get mm -hmm. a little, when things start getting a little hairy, you, you do this training, you become a expert dog handler, right? For the, for yeah. the Navy. And now yeah. what they send you, uncle Sam sends you out. Uncle Sam says at that time I met a woman, fell in love, got married. And then at that time, um, he said, they said to me, where do you, you know, uh, call up and see after I graduated and, um, Basically, I learned in that school how to speak another language. I learned how to communicate with, with dogs and how they think and how much humans, we project our feelings and our emotions onto dogs, but dogs don't look at the world the way that we do, you know? So, but it, I just learned a whole nother language. It was a great experience. I finished that, I got married and then I was off to Japan. That's where my wife and I were at the time said, Hey, let's go to Tokyo and, and spend three years there. And that's what, and that's what I did. I heard, and, uh, I heard life in Japan is very polite. I heard they're an amazing people. It's a they, great place to live. I've never been, I'm dying to go. I don't want to die to get there, but I mean, please do. I heard it's amazing. Would you, would you also agree that living there is very pleasant? They say it's almost the closest thing you can get to a utopia. Is that true? I have to say, I have to say, I agree because I well, I lived in Sicily. I lived in Italy for five years too. That's pretty. That's pretty nice too. That's beautiful. But, but one thing about Japan, everything is organized. Everything is clean, and if they tell you you have a three o'clock appointment, they will be at your house at two fifty. You know, with their shoes off at the door, bowing, coming in, and I mean, it's. You know what I'm saying? These guys are great. Konnichiwa. You know, as far as like, and their public transportation system is the most reliable on the planet. I heard they hold the doors, the elo like yep. politeness. Polite, very respectful, very polite, and and um, they honor their 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 senior citizens there. They honor them. They actually honor them there, unlike it is over here. You know, so that's one thing I really loved about them. And uh, I go there. 
And uh, I'm there, and next thing you know, this thing, this little thing happened. It's called the Iraq War. You so, were there when 9-11 happened? I was in, I was in Siganilla, Sicily when 9-11 happened. I was guarding an airfield, and I was just about to get off. It was 5.20 p.m. or 5.15 p.m., and I was just about to get off for three days, and I had a, a rendezvous with a beautiful Sicilian girl I'd met. And we were gonna go to this little town called Chefalu, all right? But I'm standing on the gate waiting to get relieved and this girl comes out of the flight line and says, an airplane just hit the trade center. And I'm thinking, what is it, crop duster or something? I'm thinking it's like one of those little Cessna planes. And then 10 minutes later, she comes out and she says, another plane hit the trade center. And then it was like, oh no. And I was there. You're in Sicily, and I was actually right there underneath those buildings, man. Were you? Yeah. Uh, we're not going to get into that. My viewers have heard it a hundred times already. But yeah, I was I there you. that day, man. Uh-huh. But, uh, I saw it all in real life, you know, right there. Literally. It, it was, it cha- the whole world changed. It's never been the Just same. Just like this. Never been the same. This is, this is the, uh, t- although for New York City itself, this has been yeah. more catastrophic to New York. Huh. The decisions the leaders have made in these areas have been catastrophic and they've been adding gas onto a fire that I don't think New York will ever recover. If it does, it's going to be a long time from now. You know, after 9-11, we didn't have an emptiness of New York. There was a resilience. We were united. We got united. Everyone had the flags out. There was like this like brotherhood and sisterhood and New Yorkers were just like closer, man. And right now we're, we're divided and like one fourth left and it's empty and it's depressing. And you're looking at your fellow New Yorker, like, are they going to try to kill me, rob me or beat me right now? And midtown Manhattan is like a black hole, a vortex where nothing really goes on. It's depressing. I'm sad. I'm sad to say is what you just described sounds terrible, but guess what? I don't even think we've seen the worst yet. I agree with you, brother. And I've been calling it. There are dark days ahead and we need to unite. And I who, feel really huh? who I'm counting on, and I think a lot of people that are civilians, we pray for, for our military that's active. Sure. And we pray for those that are not active, that have the experience, that have put their lives on the line for this country, to if, God forbid, enemies within, I, I know we definitely have abroad, and I think they're definitely involved in whatever's going on, but we pray that if things should ever arise to that point where this country is in trouble internally, that the veterans like you will do the right thing and choose the right side, whatever side it is. Right now, I don't think anybody knows what the fuck, you know, I don't think anybody knows what the hell's going on anymore. It's crazy out there, but let's not get caught up in this because you're fascinating me, man. I am on the side of the United States Constitution. And the Bill Did of Rights. And question? the Bill of Rights. And the Bill of Rights. Did Uninfringed. 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 I agree. That's the side I'm on. Whoever's on that side, I'm with them. Do you think I, most, do you think most military feel that way? Do I think, what was that? What, what? Do you think most people in the military feel the same way? That they would die for I the Constitution? So. They will die I for the flag. So. They will die for America's freedom, its yeah. rights. I, I don't see, and we used to you know, talk about it sometimes. I don't see our military ever turning, ever opening fire on our civilians under, under illegal orders. If, if we're giving, remember, you can refuse an order if it's illegal. 
all that I was following orders doesn't work. It didn't work for the prison guards in, in, in the concentration camps, and it's not going to work. If you are given as a soldier an order and you know that order is illegal, you have the duty to disobey that order. Did you, you order to. the cold red? You're damn right I did. Did you order? Best- <laughs> but that was illegal, no? I want the truth. It was illegal. You can't but- handle the truth. Yeah, it was illegal. <laughs> But, but shit like that happened when I went in in the 90s. Not that it was like, I know people say, but they we used to haze people. I mean, we used to haze people. I got hazed. We I hazed people. We all did it in the Navy. I mean, shit, we did it in high school. I mean, what the fuck? Let's yeah. forget it. We just, a normal part, it was, I'm not saying it was good or justified. But at yeah. one point, it was like life. And unfortunately, some people went too far with that type of stuff. Some people did yes. it more for fun. But some people were really sick in their heads. Yeah, probably the kind of people that would end up in a concentration camp doing those types of things to yeah. other people because they shit. Yeah. enjoyed hazing a little bit too much. Like I can understand mm-hmm. you put some you put some uh, chocolate in someone's sneakers or you know you know you paint their face when they're sleeping or you you know even you know but people take it to the extreme, man. Sure, and yeah. and they get they get a sexual you know gratification. You know I worked with some corrections officers that just like to be friggin' hard asses because I got them off, I guess. And I've and I've been in the war, and I've I've been next to uh, a soldier or two that was pretty enthusiastic about killing more people. Not like, oh my God, I hope it doesn't happen again. If it does, I'll do what I got to do to survive. But you know, they're they're on the other end of that spectrum. They're on the further end of it, and you know, yeah. war, war brings that out of people, man. Yeah, war brings that shit out. But you know, well, I don't know. I think sometimes some people are actually born with that inside because war never brought that out in me. So I never, I never did that at my job. I never tried to kill people, you know, just wanting to get into a situation and wanting to get into a gun battle and wanting to do, I never did that. That's not me. You cling on, you tried to cling on to your humanity as much as possible in those situations. Oh, I, yeah, for sure, man. So for you sure. end up in I Iraq, look- you end up in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So what happened was, is we invaded um, in 03. Around 04, they had these things called roadside bombs, IEDs that started showing up and just wreaking havoc on all our vehicles and soldiers. They were short. The Army was pretty much carrying the load of the whole war around from 2003 to 2005. Coming at the end of 04, they said, listen, Bomb detection canine handlers are in dire need, and we're now opening it up to all the armed forces to volunteer to go deploy to Iraq. So that means now the Navy can open up. The Mar- well, the Marines were ever that were already there, but this was just kind of specifically for the Navy and the there was Coast Guardmen too and the uh, Air Force. So I went and I worked in a kennel. Everybody had kids except me at the time. And we had to supply one at my base and everybody was like, we had a meeting and my chief was like, you guys can pick who it is, or I'm going to pick who it is tomorrow. So all the boys got together, we got in the, got in the kennel and they were like, you know, I want, everyone just had a baby. Everyone had this and that. And I was like, all right, send me then, you know, I draw the small straw, I guess. So next thing you know, I'm on my way to, 
army uh, combat readiness training because I'm a sailor and we're not trained. You know, we don't get Rambo training in the Navy. And I was trained as a military policeman. I'm a squid. You know what I mean? So I had to go to two weeks of Texas. And, you know, actually, I was at that base where those, where that, that, that girl, all the soldiers keep getting killed over there, Fort Hood or whatever it is. And I went through training there. And uh, for two weeks, they taught me how to be a, an army soldier with my dog. And I deployed from there and uh, deployed to Baghdad. And I was going over there for uh, the first time, a seventh month deployment to support the elections. So I was going to be there to help secure all the polling sites and ensure that the Iraqis could vote safely and peacefully. First election ever? First free election ever Mm. in Iraq. And, you know, one of the most interesting thing I found out about about that was I found just being there was I was my all they were talking about was voter fraud. But I was like. I was thinking about it. And the Iraqis, what they do is they dip their finger in ink and it stains their finger. And then they go and they, and they, ooh, and they put their fingerprint, they put their fingerprint on who they, on the candidate they want. And what that ink does is it stains their finger so they can't go down the street and vote again. And I was like, holy shit, their first time out, they just stopped voter fraud. They've just got the perfect solution to it. <laughs> I was like, wow, look at that. It's so, I mean, it's so simple. <laughs> so I thought yeah, that was really and we cool. And we can't vote right now in uh-huh. New Jersey in person because, you know, of all these shenanigans. But we can go to Walmart. We can go to stores. Uh, we could do all this other shit. But I, I can't go into a huge gymnasium 10 feet or even 20 feet apart from a voting no. booth. It's freaking no. bullshit, man. It's yeah, bullshit. It- well, it, well, actually, let's move on. Let, let let's, I don't even want to talk about it, man. I got it. But, but you know, it's really you, you want to know why it's not bullshit. It's money because they they grease those guys with money and they're like, shit, we're not closing them. You know what I mean? That's it. That's how this whole that's how it all works, man. It, it, it sucks. Now, you're you know? there but, at a very dangerous time because I'm pretty familiar. I I, I, I'm familiar time. with it. My cousin was a Marine in Iraq. Mm-hmm. During that time, during the IEDs, during the Battle of Fallujah, he lost a lot of friends. Yeah. Uh, he's seen a lot of horrible things, and he's doing much better. Shout out to my boy Brian down in, in uh, Dallas. So you were there at the same time he was. And uh, yeah. your job is to keep these guys alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they had Humvees that were hit by IEDs, man, and they, they just yep. instantly died, wounded, trapped, and all kinds of crazy shit. Talk uh-huh. to us about that job, man. That's an, you're putting your life... And the lives of all these other men and women in the hands mm-hmm. of a dog. So you better know how to communicate in their language, huh? You better be talking to that dog like Beastmaster and shit. Like you better. So that. And so now, when you when you go from a law enforcement mission now to a combat mission, which is what I did. Because the Navy, I worked on the base police. I would search mail and do random searches. Of the, you know, now I'm actually in searching routes, IED Alley, Route Irish. We're losing two guys a week in the unit. I get attached to an infantry unit, the 3rd Infantry, 7th Regiment. I was supporting them on K-9 missions. I was supporting the, uh, the armor, 3rd Armor, 3rd Battalion Cavalry. So you got this Navy guy, you know, just hanging with these with these army trained soldiers and we're doing house to house raids and doing, you know, shit like that. And 
you know, I'm out there a month and literally like doing this stuff every day, like literally the next step could be your last. You put all your faith in that dog and, uh, you know, I sweep a road and I got these guys 50 feet behind me and they're relying on me to say, okay, my dog didn't respond. There's nothing there. And I give them a thumbs up. Then I got to take the step and then they got to come behind me. It's a lot of responsibility. Are you wearing like a special suit? Uh Uh-uh. No. I wore body armor, but I wasn't dressed in the disposal suits. When you find a bomb, that's when you get on that stuff. <laughs> Crazy, man. So, I have cousins who their job was to clear out landmines after the Kosovo War. Yeah. They, they worked mm-hmm. with the Hollow Trust, if you've ever heard of them. Sure. Mine detector dogs, yeah. They, so they worked. I don't know if they used dogs, but they were literally, there were so many landmines put in there by the uh, yeah, Serbian forces. Yeah, we use forces. dogs for those too. My, we have, yeah, we have dogs that, like, you know, that we just specialize with mine detection. And, you know, they're usually little beagles and stuff. They sniff on the ground. So not only are you in danger of being blown up, but there's still people that can shoot you, snipe you. I mean, there's all kinds oh of fucking, God, you're in danger, yeah. man. You're in real danger here. Well, here. well, here's what happened. The Iraqis, the insurgents... Uh, they put a bounty on on the on our heads on the dogs is what they did they put a bounty on our dogs because when we got there when they started using dogs in 04 and 05 we were finding explosives all the time so the insurgents they started putting prices on the dogs so they wanted to kill you know it was i think it was like 75 or eighty thousand dollars to kill a kill a dog it's a lot of money in iraq it's a lot Uh of money in iraq that's a lot of money in iraq bro Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. So, but, uh, so I did that and, and, and I, uh, I saw Pete, man, I saw people, I saw a guy get just split in half with a, with a, with a mortar carrying Chinese food that they special delivered us to, uh, to us one day. And they did a mortar. It was like these insurgents, they knew it was like, they flew this special meal in and it was Chinese food and everybody was so happy because we were going to eat something like edible and Chinese food. And I remember as soon as they served it, they, the, they shot 23 mortar rounds inside the compound, right on the, on the, uh, the, uh, chow hall. And I, like I said, I, I, it was blood and Chinese food everywhere. It was horrible. It was horrible. Damn man. Yep. Crazy. Yep. How do you deal with the stress, man, of knowing that your life's in the I hand of a dog. You know what I did? I mean, you, then, any step you could just, I mean, that's some crazy stress to go through mentally nonstop. People, yeah. having, people having problems with this pandemic, okay? And they're in their <laughs> houses. No, I'm serious. And it's not to even make, hey, I'm one of them, man. People are struggling yeah. with mental health. They're not even being shot at yet. How the hell, what, what advice can you give to someone that's suffering right now? That's like just worried, stressed out. They're, they're fucking bugging out. They're, they're full of anxiety. Like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Maybe they believe in theories of things that are going to come after this. How do you process stress in the way that you did? And just, is it, is it minute by minute? Is it, the, I mean, what advice can you give people, man? Well, the first advice I would give you is how not to do it. And that's drinking. Cause that's what I did at that time in my life. I drank it all away. Okay. Um, now I deal with it differently. I'll get into that, but I, you know, I would say at the moment when you're experiencing what I was experiencing, you don't have time to process that. You have to take that and like put it in a locker and like lock it with a key and carry the key and deal with that later. Cause right now in real time, your life's in danger. So you're taking all that and just stuffing it in a locker. You understand? That's how I survived that. 
you know, you when lose, I got you back, lose any, though, you, you, all that stuff <laughs> did you lose any close, comes out. Did you lose any close friends in that, in that time period? Well, I made a lot, you know, I made, got friends over there, you know, and we played guitar out in the middle of the night. He played guitar. I made friends there and I would go back out and they had this area and people would smoke cigars or smoke cigarettes. And then you go back out there and be like, where's Jim? Oh, he got killed last night on the mission. Jesus Christ. Where's, where's Burton? He got hit. He lost his, he's in the hospital. He lost both his legs. Like, oh, he was just here yesterday, you know? So yeah, it was. And then I would start thinking when I would walk out there to get a breath of air, who's it going to be today? Whose number got called? I would just go out and just look and be like, I'm waiting for the news. Like who got killed today? You know, cause that was like the rumor, the water cooler for us. So yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was rough, man. It was rough. So you got through all of that. Did you, what was the worst, you, 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 what was your worst moment there? Do you remember your closest call or anything like that? I mean, anything you want to talk about? Anything really crazy where it could have just really went the wrong way? Like you got really lucky or something, you know, anything crazy as far as handling IEDs or bombs or anything like that? Well, I found, I found, I found bombs and found IEDs. I have a, I have a, a, a moment. I think, I think my craziest, I, I would say we were, we were raiding houses one night and I, some of the guy, you know, you've been there and you've been doing this. We were doing this whole like apartment comp. It was like a tenement, like in New York, like we were going door to door. I mean, literally I had a dog and there's, you know, we're not in the elevators. We're doing stairs like, you know, 12 stories up, but like bunches of apartments were just door to door. Right. So, and it's a hundred degrees. It's, I mean, it's like a, you know, it's middle of the night and you're just sweating. There's everything. And I got the dog and everything and we're going door to door and we'd knock on the door. If they opened it, we would say, sir, ma'am, can you, we need you to step out. We got to search your place. And sometimes they would get angry and, you know, they would not comply. And then we have, you know, guys that would grab them and, you know, and we'd have to subdue them. Right. Well, they had one guy I remember that was a little too heavy handed. If you know what I mean, he was just a little heavy handed. And I remember that he, he, you know, he had a flashlight sometimes, but he didn't use it for light. You understand what I'm, what I'm yeah, talking yeah. about? He was, yeah, he was okay. a little. So, so we knocked on a door and I remember there was this guy, an old man, and he looked like Jerry Garcia from the Grateful Dead. This guy, like, as soon as I saw his face with the hair and the beard, I was like, looks like Jerry Garcia. I like, just started laughing. And he comes out and he says to me, uh, I don't, I don't want you in my country. We, you, you know, we, this isn't right. You can't come into someone's house. I have a family. He has a, I see his wife. He has two little girls and they're wearing the, you know, the, the face cover kind of like the mat. Everyone's wearing a mask now. I'm thinking I'm back in the Taliban. Like, you know, you think you're out there. So, um, he, and I see this old guy, I see his wife, I see the kids. And then I see the guy that, that, you know, likes to get a little rough. And I see that he's about to, he's about to probably do something. Cause the guy's kind of talking to me, like, I, you know, we have a free country. You shouldn't be here. You know, blah, blah, blah. He's like giving me the riot act. I'm just like, okay. And he go, I, just as he's about to go, I, I redirect him and I go to the old, the old man. I say, listen, and I go to and crack my body armor and I, pull this photo out. And I said, this is, it was my mom, my brother, my aunt, my cousin, and we're all by the beach in Fort Lauderdale. And there's the ocean behind us. I said, 
You see, that's my mom, that's my brother, that's my aunt, that's my cousin. Yes, it's my family. It's a beautiful family. I said, they don't want me here either. <laughs> they don't want me here either. You don't want me here, they don't want me here either, but I have to come in. You understand? We have to come in. So could you please let us step aside and let us come in? And he did. So Thank God he did, man. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to see someone get roughed up in front of their wife and two kid, two daughters. Listen, you know what I'm saying. At the same time, it's a dangerous place. A lot of Americans died there. You there? I, 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 I get the other side of it too. You know what I mean? It's just, that's what I'm oh, saying, I man. Do too, nobody but, wins. Nobody wins in war. Nobody man. wins. But 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 those are the times you need you need people with cooler heads to save you from yourself. You know what I mean? This the stress, is while we're the stress can push you, man. Past. Yeah, because, I mean, a lot of times you, you need other corrections officers and cops and you, you need them to recognize and you need to sometimes save them from themselves before they do something. A cop stupid. who sees another cop has a tendency to yeah. keep being too aggressive. Exactly. You don't wait till there's exactly. a fucking uh, a George Floyd situation, for example. Yeah, you're getting in your feelings, your your ego. When you let your ego get into your, you know, your judgment, it clouds it. You got to remove your ego from every decision, every important decision. I think you make in your life. It's hard to. It's easier said, but you know. So you make it out of Iraq, physically, make it out. physically yeah. okay. Nothing, nothing, no wound, nothing. You're okay. No, no wound. Um, I uh, no wound other than. When I was on my way home, I, my dog, I used to have to put him in a helicopter and I would, and he would get nervous in a helicopter and I would put him in a kennel. I would put him in a kennel, then put the kennel on the helicopter and he had his favorite ball and I would open the, the door and quickly throw the ball in so he could chew on it because he would get nervous so he wouldn't bark, right? I opened the kennel to go to throw the ball and a son of a bitch bit me, bit oh. my hand. I had to get like three stitches. He didn't know it was me, though. He uh, didn't know. But they couldn't. I mean, he could smell bombs, but he can't smell you. Come on, man. He didn't know it was me. He was so freaked out because that black hawk was, bah, 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 you know, because those things breathe, man. They're they're loud. And he, he didn't know. I just opened and I go and he bit me. And I had to get like three stitches. So that's the only wound I got, thank God, physically. Love wound. <laughs> Love wound. So, so you you end up going home. What what year is that? Do you remember when you finished in Iraq? I I got home. I went from like end of oh five to oh six. I did the whole. I did the whole. I did eight months the that that time. It's a crazy eight months, huh? It was crazy eight months, man. But it was, oof, it was definitely a. I would say a, how many a, a how many bombs you think you dismantled, life. man? How many bombs you think you found? Oh, wow. I was, you know, one time I, one time I tried to count one time, you know, I, I, I found a couple hundred, a lot, huh? couple hundred, 50, 60, more than well, that. Well, IEDs, IEDs, I found, I found several of those. We, I used to find, um, weapons, uh, weapons caches, you know, like in the ground, they would bury a whole bunch of ammo, a whole bunch of rockets and mortars, you know, so they can get to them and everything. So the dog would find those. So caches and and IEDs, it, it was a lot. We it was a lot. You saved it a lot of lives, brother. I don't even know the number, but you and that you know, dog, you lot. and that dog saved a lot of lives. Not just American soldiers. You're talking about even civilians that could have stepped on saved those things. Saved my life, that's for sure. Saved yours, <laughs> but I'm saying you help save other people's lives too, man. Yeah, yeah, including, including I, I Iraqis, dog, including Iraqis. Dog, you know, I remember. You know what they told us in school? They said that. Drug detector dog, that bomb detector dog, right? We could you, we could shit another you, but we can't replace that dog. That's what they used to tell us. 
<laughs> you better keep him alive. Yeah. Let me yep. ask you this. Um, was it common for, for Iraqis to hit those IEDs also? Cause they didn't know they were oh, there. Sh- yeah. Uh, you know, there was, there was an old man. I remember they, they, he used to, he, he used to watch the insurgents plant the IEDs and then he would go and get the IEDs after they planted them. And then he would take them and sell them back to the friggin' insurgents. He had like a little racket going. Crazy. Right? That's crazy. They killed him. We yeah. found him in a river. Uh, he's crazy. Yeah. He even tried to do yeah. that. He would sell their stuff back to them. He would dig it up and they, and then he would go and go somewhere else and sell it back. Like it was pretty good business for a while. <laughs> wow. No, but what I mean is like, did it happen where they would drive not knowing that, that they were trying to get you guys, but the Iraqi people. Oh, oh you mean civilians? Civilians sure. that had no idea that there was an IED there. Sure. Oh, yeah, sure. So a lot the, of time, well, they would hook up, you know, debt devices like a cell phone or something and they, they can call it. Or they would just, you know what, they used to put it in dead animal carcasses. And there was even times where they hit a, a Humvee. And there was a couple uh, wounded or, or KIA of us Americans, and they would they would shove IEDs under the bodies because the first thing we do is jump out of the car and run, and we and, and and boom they got us there. Then we had to establish protocol. If we see another soldier down, don't run straight to him. Use these grappling Crazy, hooks. Yeah. Like, Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. But the, it's safe to say that you did save the life of Iraqis also by removing oh, these devices. Oh yeah, yeah. I I had some Iraqis that. Thank me. I, I had some Iraqis that, you know, said they were going to cut my throat and things like that. But for the most part, you know, um, I, I, I know I did. I know my work was good over there. My work. Um, when, when, when all the stuff came out about how we got there, that's what really kicked me in the nuts. I always say to a soldier, especially when you're considered an occupying force, because that's not your yeah. country. You mm-hmm. got to put yourself in the shoes of the people, you, you know, even if they're I civilian, know. they're going to be mad. They're like, you guys no. don't, you know, whether they liked Saddam, didn't like him, you know, it's just, it's a crazy situation, but I'm glad you made it out alive and thank God for that. And thank God you yeah, saved, I, you I, saved I, a lot I, I of people, man. So that's, that's amazing. So you get back now, you finished with the military or? No, I get back. I, I, uh, transfer to Washington state and I continue with my career. And uh, a year later, I deploy again. Same mission, but this time it's for the surge. John McCain, when when he had the surge, the the successful surge, I deployed back for that, you know. And then from that, I I did another I did another six months from there. Well, six months. What did that feel like mentally? That shit, I'm going back. I mean, was any part of you that was like fuck? Well, when I went back the second time, I was in more of a supervisory role. I was I was running. I was in charge of a kennel with a with uh, a mixed services i had army navy air force marine dog handlers and i was the you know non-commissioned officer in charge they call and and uh i had to send dog handlers out on missions so, so a little bit different protocol was me sending one out and one not coming back but thank god that didn't happen thank god but i get nervous all the time so you lived in washington state for a while what a beautiful place man were you close to vancouver it is, it is. were you close to vancouver I was in Vancouver. I, I went Vancouver, to Vancouver, Washington or Vancouver, Canada, both Vancouver, Canada and Vancouver, Washington. Yeah, what, I love Vancouver, Canada, man. It is. And did you go on that bridge, that, that mountain, that big bridge? I did my, that too. My aunt lives in between Whistler and Vancouver city. She lives in a town called Squamish. You know, they have the sea to sky gondola. Okay. 
So uh, I've been on that area a couple of times, and I love it. It's beautiful. And I drove through all of Washington. You know, I landed in Seattle, and then we drove up. We went down that way. And then we went up to Vancouver, and I just did that a couple of years ago. And I've been there twice already to Vancouver, Canada. And the people are so nice, like where I, you know, where I great was. Great place, I, it's, man. I, it's crazy now in Seattle, but. Yeah, but a great place, man. Yep. So, so you go back a couple more missions again, you make it back, thank God, and then you finish your, your career, right? I finished my career. They gave me like an early yeah. retirement. They gave early incentive to retire. And um, so I said, okay, I took it. I got a little money up front and uh, I just had to do some time in the reserves. And I said, okay. And I did that and I came to um, Central Florida. And uh, I was uh, I was uh, married at the time, but it was on the rocks and we were going to get a divorce. So unfortunately, I'm it's you know, that happens in life. You think um, it happens more in the military, man? Oh, for sure. Oh, my God. It takes yes. a toll, right? Do you feel like a lot it's of your peers? It's an epidemic in the military. Epidemic. Well, our divorce rate just in regular life is like 40 something percent. Do you think it's much yeah. higher in the military? Yeah. It I can is. see why, man. You're always away. You're gone. I mean, people are stressed out. Yeah. It's it's not easy being. Yeah, you, know, you, you can't be a father or a husband. I mean, it's 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 almost the way they, sh and that's the problem. The military, we they we want to go and wipe everyone's ass and tell everybody how to live their lives. But we, we're like that guy giving advice, but our own shit, our own house is effed up. You know what I'm saying? To cast so twenty two. Why are you stretching us thin like this? You know what I mean? You're destroying families. If this country's national security is at risk, if we're under attack, send us anywhere. But don't send us places just because you want to settle a score, man. Come on. God willing, peace prevails. I mean, it looks like yeah. a lot of those conflicts are winding down, I hope. The Middle East has just been, so the Middle East has just been a enough, shit show. Man. It's been so horrible there. And, uh, you know, for the average citizen over there, civilian, you know, it's fucking horrible, man. Someone that's not a terrorist, yeah. someone that doesn't care about it, someone that just wants to live their life. Yeah. There's really been no refuge for these people anywhere in the Middle East in no. the last 20 fucking years. It's just crazy. And 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 you're the same as them. They want they have kids. They want them to go to good schools. They want, you know, to be successful. They want to get promoted. You know what I'm saying? They're just saying they have the same values we have, you know, in life. I mean, of course, there's people that are, you know, different, but the rank and file are just people that just want to live and live their life and try to, you know. Did you feel the majority of Iraqis were that way? Like they, they don't want these conflicts. They don't want war. They don't. Oh, I, mean I, I yeah, yeah. I, I, the, the, the regular, the regular people I met on the street and I would try to learn their language. Every time I went somewhere, I always, I always made an honest effort to learn their language. That was, that was cause I was my way of paying them respect, you know? So that was my, my way of doing it, my heart. So I would try to speak their language and, and, and I got to be friendly with, with, with a lot of them. And like I said, they're just, I looked into the refrigerator. They, 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 it's the same. It's the same as us. They, they, you know, they want safe schools, good schools. They want to, you know, they want to be employed. They want to work. They want to be able to pay their bills and go on vacation. Have, it's the same thing, man. It's it. So, so you finally finish, you get back, you move I back finish, to Florida. Yeah, I get back. Mm -hmm. Talk to us. What and happens next, man? I say, what's next for this, this guy for me. Right. So I said, well, I don't want to, I don't want to like be a cop because I was, I was just like, I don't want to chase some, you know, be chasing a bunch of guys for some crack or pot or something to me. That's not, 
to me, it's not worth it. It's a waste of time. I was like, uh, to me, you know, so I said, forget that. I said, I hate driving around. I was like, you know, looking. So I come across, I'm looking for a federal job, of course, because those are the best kind of jobs for guys like me. So I come across an advertisement for the Federal Bureau of Prisons for corrections officers, a hiring fair, actually. And uh, I got and drove there and went to a hiring fair and and I applied and I was hired as a federal corrections officer in, in for the Bureau of Prisons. Did you during that process, you ever think about your old man and how you hated going to prisons? I mean, did that cross your mind at all? You know, I don't know. I, I don't know if I subconscious. I don't know if it was going on subconscious. Something about when I saw that when I was and I was looking at jobs at the post office, I was like, all right, maybe I'll wear shorts and I'll friggin, you know, throw some mail around, <laughs> like, you know, cool, ride a little mail truck. I was looking at these little cool things and um, something about that prison article, something about the emblem they have, that department of justice, it just jumped out at me and just grabbed me, like grabbed my face. So, so you go into, you go, you go in, you go in as a correction officer, as a CEO. Yep, they hire me. I go through the academy. <laughs> I get trained, which I already, I mean, like I said, I'd had 15 years of, of law enforcement and canine training behind me. So, and you know, I, so that, that was easy. That was a piece of cake. You know. What was that so, like, man? I mean, you had some, huh? you had some famous inmates in that place or what? Oh yeah. Well, I, I get, I go to United States penitentiary one. FCC Coleman, which is a federal corrections complex. It's in Ocala, Florida. It's the largest federal correctional complex in the United States of America. And what's great about that complex is when you're there, you'll work. There's two. Well, I was a, I, I go to penitentiary one. USP one is where, I, where I'm signed. But I could work overtime at, at USP two, the medium, the low, the camp. So you could work all custody levels for overtime or or if they need extra shifts, whatever. So you get to see all the levels of custody, different levels of custody from the penitentiary to the low camp. So I, I, I was assigned to USP one, which is an active, what they call an active pen, an active meaning that it's gang. It's all, it's all gang run. They're all active gang, uh, gang bangers in this prison. So, I get there and um, that's when I, I bump into some of, you know, some people that I guess you would call infamous, you know, but uh, yeah, I bumped into some people. I, I, I mean, uh, offhand, you want me to name some people or what do you want? I mean, I mean, I don't care. Wise guys. You don't have to say names. Oh either. yeah. Yeah. I had, you know, it was wise guys. I, I, we had, you know, I never had a problem with any wise guys. They had that uh, Mr. Uh, what's his uh, Leonard Pelletier, who's the native, uh, American Indian activist. He was a great, great guy. And, you know, he what got was accused, he in for? He was accused of Pine Ridge of, of killing um, two FBI agents that, you know, that kind of basically, I guess, went on to sovereign land, which is their sovereign land. And they were never the other two got found not guilty, but Leonard got scared and he fled to Canada. So when he came back to go to trial, it kind of looked bad because he fled. So he got found guilty and he got life. He's been in prison over 30 years. He's been trying to get out, clemency, what have you. If he you know, stayed on his lands, they would have done nothing to him, no? If they stayed on his land. Technically, it's its own nation, no? I mean, technically. Yes, it's a sovereign nation. He's the cheese, like one of the high, he's one of the highest Lakotas in there. And he's a very nice guy. I mean, a really cool dude. And it's a shame they didn't, you know, it's, I know the FBI, of course, they don't want this guy to ever get parole or anything, but 
you know, but uh, that guy, there's a lot. I mean, they had a big Netflix uh, story about him, too. I mean, there's a lot of a doubt about his conviction. There's Pete. There's let's put it this way. <laughs> there were staff members that that would openly say he was innocent. OK, I've heard upper management. I'm not talking about rank files. So, how, how would they know? know? I mean, how could they know if you're inside? You weren't there. I mean, how would they know? No offense. Yeah. No offense. I'm just saying you weren't there. No, you know? you don't, exactly. What the fuck do I know? If the all guy's I just saying is, I, I didn't do it, I mean, okay, you don't yeah. know. But I mean, I of think course. innocent people go away all the time. I'd rather have 20 guilty people go free than one innocent person in jail. Always. Yes. Amen. Fuck that. Amen. You know, but you know what? It, that's it wasn't, sad. It wasn't that's the, worse than killing somebody. And me, I, if, if I ever got sent to prison for no reason, I'd rather be dead. Kill me. Yeah. Fucking kill yeah. me. My heart goes out yeah. to some of these people. A lot of African-Americans have dealt with that stuff. And they've been proven later innocent, exonerated. I mean, yeah. but you took 20 fucking years of their life and you gave them a million dollars. It's not worth a million dollars. That ain't worth it, There's man, not no. a price that you could no. give me to make up for what you did to me. And a million dollars sure doesn't cut. It should be like 100 million. At least let me get these fucking 10 years left that I got or 20 years left. Let me fucking live them like a rock star to make up for all the bullshit. Yeah. Fuck. And make sure my family lives good after that. You robbed us of you robbed us. Time is the most you know this already, brother. Yeah, you can't get that back. It's the get most time precious back. thing. That's the most important thing. That's why they take it. That's why I you hate know? being locked down, brother. Yeah, and that's when people start getting doing getting desperate and doing some really crazy stuff. You had any escapes try to happen? Uh, yeah, we had one. He, he didn't get very far. <laughs> he tried. But. Did he like like Shawshank Redemption or no? No, no. He 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 built a mannequin. He was good, like with a dummy to put in his bed, and he was trying to sleep under the bed with the mannequin. And and one of our count got officers saw him. They caught him so right he away. He thought he was fucking Clint Eastwood, is what he thought. Yeah, yeah. He was trying to. It, trust me, he ain't getting out of that. He tried place. to do an escape from Alcatraz, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, let me ask you this: as someone that worked as a CEO officer, yeah, were you rooting for Andy Dufresne and Shawshank Redemption? Was I rooting for for the? Do you ever main watch? Character? Did you ever see Shawshank Redemption? Yeah, I saw it. Fucking love that movie. It's one of my favorite That's movies. That's a great of all movie. Were you rooting of for? Of course, Andy? I rooted for. <laughs> Are you rooting for the CEO officer that just started fucking blowing everyone's brains out in that movie? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I no, I rooted for the guy to get away. <laughs> and Andy Dufresne went through a pile of shit and came out clean yeah. on the other side. What a fucking great movie, man! It is. Yeah, it I is. It. Okay, so correction officer, more, correction more, officer approves that movie. Yeah. Okay, good. I like that. Yeah. I was more like Tom Hanks' corrections officer in the Green Mile. That was me. Now, how many years did you do this? I did it for seven years. Did you, and, and, you like know, it? Did you feel like you were... Sometimes they say, sometimes they say you've ser- you feel like you're serving time with them. I mean, is, do you feel like oh, that's I true? I was. I was. I was. But, but, but let, me, let me tell you how it all comes together. The, the, it wasn't so much the... the you know, the famous people I saw, Whitey Bulger, like these famous people. What I saw also was... He was one of them? You saw? You actually saw him? Sure. Wow. Yeah, he was in the prison. Yeah. You know, shortly before he got killed, he got transferred from, from our complex to the uh, one in West Virginia. So you where saw they all kinds him. of infamous people. Oh, yeah, for sure. Cartel guys, mob guys, um, you know, big time, uh, uh, you know, uh, what are they, terrorist Al Qaeda? We got you know we got a master. I had a mastermind of ninety. The the Somalian pirates. One of the pirates. I used to call him the pirate. I used to go, hey pirate, what's up, <laughs> pirate? I used to call him that. 
right on the compound. But he's Somalian and he couldn't, they, they, he, you know, they would teach him English, you know, so, you know, because he was Muslim. So, so he was with the Muslims and they would teach him English and everything. But I used to call him the pirate. Hey, it's the pirate, you know, and he, everybody would laugh. I used to call him, and he'd be like, "Who's talking to me like that?" He would say something like, like that. Like you're talking but, about the guys, like you were seeing those movies where they're trying to take over the ships with Tom Hanks. Yeah, those. This dude, not only this dude tried to take, tried to board a U.S. Navy ship. Okay, big fucking mistake, dude. You, know <laughs> you got to I mean? be out of here. That's a suicide mission. You're crazy. <laughs> yeah, let's put it this way: this guy's never been. He's never been in better health. He's never been, he's fed. He's got medical care. This dude's never been better in his life. Trust me. He's better in jail. Oh, <laughs> he's walking around with Nikes on people donate. You know what I'm saying? Trust me. This dude's living where he came from to here, please federal prison. He's living like he's eating. He's seen a doctor. He's, you know, he's, in, cl- he's in club he's, fed, baby. He's in club fed. Huh? He's definitely in club fed. Oh, well, he, I mean, he's eating more than he's ever ate. He actually, he's got, he, he looks, you know, he got a little bigger because he was skinny as a rail. Yeah. So you ever have oh. any weird situations, any close calls, any, any you know, dangerous situations for you? Was oh, it- yeah, my God. I had fights. I had stabbings. We had a murder there just before I retired. Um, but what I was telling you, what surprised me the most was what people, it's not the infamous people that are in prison. Like people think prison's off like, rapists and murderers. It's not true. That federal prison has people in there for smuggling alligator hides and friggin' catching big lobsters or little lobsters. Ridiculous shit, dude, that the federal government wastes money. They take, they'll take a fisherman who's catching illegally or something. They'll convict him of a felony. He's making maybe a hundred thousand a year now, right? He gets busted. His license gets taken from him. He goes to federal prison. We have to pay for his health, medical, and everything. That's 30, 40 grand a year. Then we put him back on the street and he's got no license no more. He can't make any more money. You understand? So, I mean, wouldn't it be better to put him in, fine him and put him on like a probation and let him keep his, suspend his license, then come, you know what I mean? So he can continue to pay taxes, you know? It's ridiculous what they put people in prison for in, fe- in the federal government. I mean, it's crazy. It's, it all depends, I guess. Some people would say, you know what, they're destroying the environment. Fuck them. I don't know. People are weird, man. People, everyone's, sometimes justice is in, I guess, the eyes of the beholder. Ah, he got what he deserved. No, he didn't. Get, everyone's opinion is so different, you know. I just, I just think everything should be fair. That's all. Yeah, did you kill anybody? If, no. Okay. Did you potentially almost kill somebody? You know, did your effects destroy catastrophically life or the quality of life? Or, you know, listen, you take people's life savings, you destroy their lives. You know, you rob them. I got well, no, I got no sympathy for white collar crime, man. No, no, I, I don't either. And I'm not. And I, I don't I'm give a fuck. You stole that. someone's talking, pension. You stole some. Like you know, you pulled off a Bernie yeah, yeah, Madoff. Yeah, you destroyed lives for sure. And, a Bernie Madoff, you know, someone and, like that. I got no sympathy for them, man. They should do life times a hundred. It might be you've destroyed a yeah. million lives. It should be how many people's lives you, you you hurt. Also, I think. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, you you shouldn't have a kid with a packet like three or four ounces of crack at thirty years in prison. No, that's no, crazy. No, that's that's a drug problem. 
That's and a I joke. I know, and, and I saw that. I saw these the kids user, were, you know, the user, uh, the people that deal it. That's a different story. But the user no, himself. No, he did deal it. He was. I'm saying he was dealing, but he, really, what he caught got caught with was a small amount. He got. He was facing. He got 27 years. I mean, for like. That's you know a, what I'm saying? No one got killed. There was nothing like that. You know, it's a little excessive. That, that, that's that's excessive. crazy. I mean, yeah, that's supposed a little. to rehabilitate people, not, you know, not completely just wipe them out. I know people get, listen, people get desperate too, man. You know, they can't support whatever. Yeah. I say there's, you know, there's never an excuse, but until you've walked in someone's shoes, you just don't know. Absolutely. And, and you know what? I, and I'm not out of all, at the last three presidents combined, what I saw, President Trump's done more for the criminal justice system than I, I. I don't know. I mean, at least the last three presidents combined, this guy's actually, you know, getting things done. First Step Act and all that. So you talk to he, a, you still talk really to your friends. You still talk. Impact. You still have friends that work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still have friends that work. And they sure. feel the same way. They feel like he's been more proactive with this, oh, with, yeah. with changing sentences. And a lot of them do. For the they, they could see it because finally, you know, if you got if you're in there and you're supposed to, if you're only supposed to have a thousand people and you got eighteen hundred, that's you understand. And yeah, and you and you look around and you're like, well, this guy's in here for nonviolent, you know, cocaine trap importing whatever doing you know something taxes innovate he cheated or just taxes or whatever i'm just saying look make them pay the friggin money back i got it and the fine but if you you know you lock this dude up you're paying his rent you're paying for his rent for the next year you know what i'm saying this guy could be on you know making paying taxes and what happens if someone makes a mistake? You know they didn't do it intentionally either but i, I think most of those people the government can tell if they did it intentionally you know what i mean I don't think they're going to throw the book. Gover- you know what? Do you really trust them? to? Dis- I, I, I'm sorry, but they prosecute who they want to prosecute, I think. You piss them off, guess what? But can I get you? We beat them. Hmm? So you do your career there. You, it ends shorter than you wanted to? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Um, well... So here I am, I'm into my job, I'm doing good, everything, I'm working in the prison. I start developing, uh, well, first I get this really bad eye infection and like my eyes were bleeding and I was like, wow, ran to the doctor, he looked at it, he, it's not pink eye, obviously, he said, he tested it, boom, it was a, it was a uh, staph infection in my eyes, like from like an industrial, you know, he goes, do you work in an industrial environment? I said, well, I work in a prison, it's very dirty, we always have outbreaks right now the prisons are covid infested i have so many friends that have covid that got it got over it and they're back working okay so so you don't think you don't think that they're like for new jersey he's releasing he's releasing two thousand prisoners the day after the election do you think it's really because of covid or what's your opinion (laughs) do you think that a prisoner should still be kept inside for covid in your opinion no, depends on what, what do you mean? Depends on what he did. Like, do they, do these prisoners need to be released because of COVID? I mean, what the fuck? This thing's not killing everybody the way they said it was. I mean, in my opinion, I mean, I could be oh, wrong. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Do you think they should not be released? No, but, I think they should, for, for COVID, no, let them out. Let them out. Yeah, what, I mean, I'm talking, you're talking about, because, uh, because of the, in, in jail, you know how hard it is to control COVID? 
They're all, you know what I'm saying? So if they're, if, I mean, are they there for violent or nonviolent crimes? Like it That depends. I don't know. Like, that I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it depends. You have to do, I mean, they have a score sheet. If they're, if they're in there for nonviolent crimes, then that's, then you could, you could reduce their time, give them pro, you know, probation, continue with probation. You still got them house arrest with an ankle monitor. You could still do all that and allow them an opportunity to get a, get a job or be with their family and help their family out. Maybe grandma's got COVID or something or whatever, or sick and you want to protect her from COVID or something. I mean, you know, it, it depends. It depends on what they did, dude. You know, any violence or anything like you said, insider trading where they run people's lives. No, you know, prison should be for child molesters and crooked politicians. So, That's who goes, should go to prison. So you get this infection and what yeah. it spreads. Well, I, I, they, I get medicine. Okay. Everything a week goes by, it stops. About a month later, I'm getting bad back pains, bad back pains. Long story short, I go to the emergency room. They tell me, oh, it's probably a disc, this and that. They take an x-ray. Uh, the next day, I uh, wake up and I can't move my legs and I urinated all over myself in the bed. Damn, bro. So I, you know, I told my fiance, call 911. So she called 911. I get to the hospital. And what ended up happening is that staph infection it didn't die. It resonated and went back and, and got into my spine, into the T6 area, and it infected it. And it started getting uh, infected, and the pus started leaking into the spinal cord. So it's pretty disgusting, but that's what happened. So when I, when I got there, they MRI'd me, and they saw it, and that's when they're like, you got to go to emergency surgery right now because – you're not only you're going to lose your legs, you're going to lose your upper body. You're going to be breathing. I'm going to have to put a tube in you. And I was just like, Oh my God, it just got real. Wow. You know, I was like, wow. So a tube for the rest of your life. So I'm thinking, cause I'm, so, you know, I'm such a, I've never been, you know, I'm thinking, Oh, they're just going to give me a shot and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be all right in a couple hours or give me a pill. Like that's how stupid I am. You know, how naive we're not doctors. And when bro, they told you know? me that, so they do the surgery. Now, what happens? Do the surgery. I Oh, prior to the surgery, as they're wheeling me in, I meet my doctor. And he's a, you know, he, I, you ever see Jaws? Of course. Okay. Remember Richard Dreyfus, the character? Yeah. He reminded me of him with okay. the beard. He reminded me like Richard Dreyfus, you know, circa Jaws, right? So I come in and he tells me, he says, Mr. Farlow, I'm your surgeon. Um, you right now are going to, you are para, You have what they call a T6, da, 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 this medical term. Basically, what I'm telling you is from the waist down, you will never move or walk again. It, it's not, don't even put that. He up, had I'll to tell you dead. this before you go in. What kind oh of God, fucking, right what kind of fucking, kind of fucking bedside manner is that, bro? Yeah, I know. That's what I said. But then he told my, I didn't know this because I was in the, in the, you know, the hospital bed. He told my girl, he pulled my girlfriend in the room and with, you know, and he told her, he's like, you know, and she's, you know, she's Colombian. And, you know, so she's talking and he's like telling her he's not going to walk again. Like, like, and she's like, so like, you know, just with fear and, and, you know, and I find this out later, but so now I'm getting ready to go under anesthesia. And I look at this guy, I'm like, dude, just, just put me away. Just put me to sleep. I don't want to wake up. 
And I'm, I'm just telling the anesthesiologist lady, I'm like, give me, you know, overdose me. I don't want to wake up. That's what I told her. And then my lights went out and that was it. Then I woke up. Yep. And they told you, you'll so, never, and they told you you'll never walk again. Yep. That's what he told me. Yep. Yep. So they don't know what kind I of man they up. didn't, they didn't know what kind of man you are though. I guess not. I didn't know what kind of man I was either. So you this get, happened. So you get out of the surgery. You you can't walk from the waist down. You, you're gone. Done. I don't feel anything. I'm numb. Okay. Can't move. It's like your body. God, I can't even, it's like, just picture yourself like from your belly button down being dead. You don't know when you got to pee. You don't know when you got to poop. It just comes. You understand? So you have a catheter in, you've got everything inside of both ends and you, you, you know, and it's horrible. It's what's horrible. Go, what's going through your mind? You survived Iraq only to come to this. Man, I, my mind will, my, now in between that, my brother committed suicide, by the way, in between that. So, so that was something I was uh, two years prior to this. Okay. So I'm dealing with this, right? So now I got, you know, I'm in the high. So he tells me I'm not going to walk and my body is just like, I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I can't, I just can't look at this right now because I'm going to, if I just confront this, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to, I'm going to, I can't, I can't, I have to pretend like I'm not here mentally. And I just remember putting on the show with the remote and it was this show called the Goldbergs. And I just like, just threw my mind into this show. That's just all I wanted to do. Cause I couldn't, the reality of what was going on with me, I just couldn't, you couldn't, couldn't process the pain. Process it. Yeah. Hang on one second. So yeah. your brother commits suicide two years before your infection. Yeah. Now how many siblings you had? You lost your one sister tragically. Yep. Now you lost your brother and the other siblings. Yep. No. You're, so you lost both your siblings, man. I'm the last man. Yep. I'm the last one. Your mother's still alive. My mother's alive. And, and she's, um, the only reason why I didn't kill myself is because I knew my mother told me, if you kill yourself, I'm going to kill myself. So you're, you're going to have my blood on your hands. And that's the only reason why I didn't do it. Your father. Mm-hmm. He's still alive. He's still alive. He's 84 years old. And we've we've had off and on you know relate we've had relationships but it, it's always been a little strained yeah so oh, man that's it's a lot to process man it I'm, is a lot man it's it was a lot it really was I, I don't know how i'm still here i know there's a reason i'm just trying to figure it out now you're talking right now this is your reason i'm telling you right now so i wasn't expecting any of this when i brought you on. i didn't know any of this i'm telling you that what you're telling me right now, what you've told me right now, yep. you need to write a book. You need to be a public speaker. You need to tell people why they should never give up, no matter what. Because you can't give up, man. We're going to die. I don't know if you believe in God. I believe in God, brother. Of course I do. And I believe God tests us with life, with death, with health, with wealth. And the game board is rigged. God rigs the game board. I know that sounds crazy. Because no, you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't choose to who you were born with. You, I agree. You've already demonstrated a million times you should have been dead. Yes. But you're not. And the reason not for yet. that is because the only thing you have control over, the only thing you have control over is how you respond when these events happen. You have no control your over the events. Your reactions. In that life, is your free it. will. And that is where your salvation lies. 
Yep. God, man, God, I just I need to process this. This is crazy. You man. and you and you and me drink the same Kool Aid, brother. And well, my my what happened was is while I was in the Navy, my brother started. My brother became a heroin addict, and was battling drug addiction bad. I moved him from South Florida to Central Florida, to, and I got him in health insurance and try and tried to get him in rehab. Was he younger or older? Younger, huh? younger than you or older? He was younger. He was my baby brother. Damn, it's mm -hmm. not easy as an older brother, man. You're trying to look out for your younger brother. You care about him no matter what. You argue, fight. That's your brother. I know exactly what that feels like. That only an that, older brother could understand. Yeah. You feel sometimes he like was my, he you was feel my like life. you feel maybe guilty. Maybe I failed. Maybe I wasn't I there enough. Maybe I went to the war. I should have stayed. All this other shit probably crossed through sure. your mind. You blamed yourself, probably, didn't you? Sure. I still do, yeah. but I'll tell he, you right um, here. he ended up, he ended up, you know, relapsing and uh, rather than, rather than me taking him back to rehab, he decided to get a pistol and blow his brains out in my backyard. And that's what he did. I found him that caught that from that point, my marriage was done. So Rob, you lose your brother in a tragic circumstance yeah. and, and suicide is fucking, it's devastating. There's nothing, I don't think there's anything worse for a parent. I can only imagine what your mom's been through. Bad. And I have a friend of mine who's going through that right now. Her son was in the military. He was special forces and he killed himself only, and she lost her fucking mind. She lost her fucking mind. She's supposed yeah. to be coming on the show. She's trying to help other parents get through it. And uh, her story broke my heart, but you know, God willing, she'll, she'll find the strength. She's supposed to come on soon. So, brother, you have seen some of the most darkest aspects of human life. You've seen war. You've seen destruction. Yeah. You've seen death. You've seen jails. You've lost your sister in a tragedy. You lost your brother to tragedy. You lost the use of your lower, your lower body out of nowhere. Yeah. But you're still here. You're still standing. Yeah, for some reason, yeah. I'm telling you there's a reason. That's what I'm trying to figure out. That's why that's why I connected with you. I'm very, I think you I, can help. I'm very happy you messaged me, man. I'm very happy you reached yeah. out to me because I would have never known how to find you. So Yeah. And some told me, like I said, I watched your show. I liked your little interview style. I'm like, hmm. You know? And you said you like to meet interesting people with interesting stories. I like stories of people that don't give up. Well, that's me. <laughs> and you're here and you're promising everyone that follows my show that you're never gonna give up, right? Never, uh-uh, never. Do you have any children of your own? No, I never had children. My my first uh, marriage, um, you know, we she we didn't have any. Basically, it was probably better now after this. You know, this we had a very very bitter divorce. A lot of it was just it was my alcoholism it, from the tragedy of my brother, the war, and it just it's one of the one of the most it's one of the biggest failures of my life. Definitely. It is the biggest failure. When I dealt with loss, I also that day knew because of how broken my heart was that I would never drink again. And I never drink again because I knew if you drink with a broken heart, that's yeah. how you become an alcoholic. And that's how you destroy it. You have no chance of coming back. You know, you're, you're yeah. limited. I'm not saying you can't, but you go into that deep hole and you don't know if you'll ever come out once you start drinking and doing drugs when you're sad. So anybody that's listening to this, and I think you can agree. If you have a broken heart, 
the answer is not to drink. The answer is not to do drugs. You are you are pretty much guaranteeing your destruction. And if not your own personal life, whatever parts of your life that are important, you'll lose to that addiction. It's there's no way out of it. You have to process the pain eventually. You got to deal with it. You got to get help. You got to reach out to people that you can talk to. Reach out to a therapist, but try to find some good friends. You can't be on your own at these times, I think, because I think that's when the devil creeps in. Yeah. Your heart's sure. broken. Your brother killed himself. Your sister this. You saw the war. This world is evil. Give up. Life is horrible. Nah, man. Life is a, is a nonstop battle. It's a war. We just can't give up. Because you have the power to save lives, man. You've saved lives with a dog. Literally. From exploding. Yeah. Okay? I'm telling you right now, the story that you're telling me, your life has the power to save maybe millions of lives if you channel it and you use it the right way. I'll do it. Just show me. I'm showing you. This show. is it, brother. You you get out there. You, you you reach out to more people that have shows. This is an amazing, amazing story of never giving up, man. So now you've lost the lower... Yep. Lower lower body functions. Mm -hmm. But I see you yep. in videos, you're kind of almost standing up, you're fucking swimming. Yeah. I mean, so t tell me, what's going on, man? Is, 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 is That's not the final case, in your opinion, no? I, I just said, I just went, well, at this time now, I'm, I'm, I've been in the hospital three months. Uh, prior to this, about six months prior to that, I met this beautiful Colombian girl, and I just, I fell in love with her. And I had to have her with me. And I, I, I moved her, you know, she came from Miami, she came up here and we moved in. So I, here I am in the hospital six months later after we're living together and I'm paralyzed. All right. So I just tell her, listen, you know, if you're going to go, I want you to go. And, you know, I don't, I'm not asking you to stay. You don't have to, this is a way extraordinary circumstance. And, you know, cause the doctor's telling her, He's going to need a caregiver. He's going to need someone to wash his ass and clean, I mean, clean up after him. He's going to, you know, and that woman looked me right in the eye and she's like, I ain't going nowhere. Do you think you fucking felt even more in love at that moment? <laughs> I never felt love from another human being like that before in my life. And she did it. And, and she, you know, from that point, I, you know, I got home. Um, I couldn't move. I'm home for uh, four months, four and a half months. I'm home. No movement, no feeling, nothing. Right. And I, I got so tired of asking God. I just said, you know what? I'm done with you. I'm not asking you no more for nothing, not to give me anything, just a little feeling back. I'm tired of asking because I, you know, what's wrong. I'm asking for myself. That's the problem. I'm not asking for other people. That's my problem. So I'm going to ask you for other people. Forget about me. Leave me alone. I'm seeing all this tragedy, this COVID. As soon as I got, remember, when I got out of the hospital, there was no COVID. COVID started a month later. So, so this is all this, all this staph infection stuff literally just happened. This, so this just happened this year. Yeah. This last year of your life. November. November. 2019, November. Damn, bro. November 26th. Yep. That's my so, son's my son's birthday. Okay, and my guess what my birthday is? The twenty seventh. <laughs> my birthday. I wake up wrapped up like a mummy with tubes in my back, in front, and in my mouth. That's my birthday. Wow, man. Terrible. I stopped celebrating birthdays a long time ago, though, man. Me too. I'm done with that. I don't. I mean, too. If 
fucking depressing, man. Yeah, you I'm know, done with that. You know, up until 21, you're like, yes. After 21, I knew. I'm like, okay, yeah. stop now. I can do everything legally. Stop. I don't want to mm-hmm. get any older. But the clock it, starts it going faster. <laughs> the first 20 it years of my life, I couldn't wait for the clock to speed up. And then once I got everything, I was like, no, no, stop it. It doesn't yeah. stop. It gets faster. Slow it down. Yeah, slow it down for sure. So, brother, so, so how are you feeling, man? I mean, I see you doing a lot of therapy. Like, are, is there, are you seeing signs of hope here? Oh man, I, I well, like I said, I didn't move. I didn't move for four and a half, uh, four and a half months, and and my my beautiful angel that God sent me, she she cared for me and did everything, and I and I told her, I said, listen, I don't think this stuff's coming back. It's not going to come back. I, I I don't know. I'm going to need, you know, you you're going to waste your life with me. I, you know, I'm not, you know. So let me get a caregiver from the VA, and that way, you know, I'm not, I don't want to you know, put you on the hook for this, you know? So, you know, she didn't go and, and, and I don't know. She just keeps, you know, she just keeps standing up and coming back, man. Just, she's just no quit. And then next thing I know, we got a big argument and I'm looking at her. She's looking at me and I'm of course paralyzed. And next thing you know, my little left, my left foot, my big toe, next thing you know, I look down at it and I'm moving. Hmm, Anger. We're in an argument. We're in the middle of an argument. And, of, you know, she's speaking Spanish and English, so it's it's going back and forth. And she's going for that kitchen knife. I know how these Colombian girlfriends can be, man. You're like, <laughs> shit, and you can't even move right now. You're at her mercy, bro. I'm completely she at her mercy. She could have fucking yeah. finished you right there. What they couldn't do to you in Iraq, she had you, bro. She had me. Even she if you, me, listen, so. even if you were fully functioning, she could, you, you don't mess with Colombian oh, women, for man. for sure, for sure, for sure. You know, so I... Next thing you know, I look at her and I said, look, it's moving. And now I'm, I'm like, I got command of it. I'm making it go up and down. I'm like, holy shit. We looked at each other. We started crying. It was like, it was like a, you know, a sign from God. It was a sign. And now, and from that point, it just picked up like wildfire. Next thing you know, my calf started moving. My calf started, I started getting control of my other toe, you know, and nothing was happening on the right side, you know, and now I got my calf squeezing and my foot moving on the left. Now my quad starts moving on the right. My ass cheek starts moving like on my left, like it was all in different spots, you know, and it was coming alive. And, and, um, from that point, I, I was like, wow, you know, this is, this is, you know, I'm feeling really good, but you know, I still can't stand up. I can't do anything like that, but I'm like, all right. So, um, next hope. thing I know, huh? There's hope. Oh yeah. Next thing I know, look, they go, Hey, COVID we're, we're almost out of the woods. Now remember I'm not doing therapy for four months because of COVID and I'm right out of the hospital. So the only therapy I did was her and I, I'm like, let's put on YouTube. Let me do some therapy. Let me get on the floor. Let me try to stretch, help me stretch. And she would stretch my legs and I would watch YouTube and everything. So I learned how to do everything on YouTube, how to get from my wheelchair into the car, wheelchair to the toilet, wheelchair to the tub. I learned it on YouTube. So that was my physical therapy on that point, at that point. So when they re, when we reconvened at, at therapy, I showed up the first day and I said, listen, if you're going to show me anything about how to live my life in this wheelchair, I'm fucking out of here right now. You're going to show me how to live my life without this chair or I'm out of here. And that's it. You asked them, you specifically asked them to rehabilitate you as if you're going to walk again. Yes. I said, I refuse to, I got YouTube that could teach me how to live my life in this damn chair. You're going to teach me how to not live my life in this goddamn chair. 
And then what I started doing was I do my therapy uh, three, three days a week. Then I go to the pool every day. Yeah, but uh, and I started doing my own little aqua therapy because I, I just looked at it like this. Where, okay, when we're, when we're conceived, where does everything get put together? In, in, in underwater. In the womb, yeah. Yeah, but you're underwater. Correct. So I'm thinking, why not go back to the water and rehabilitate my legs? And you can also kind of, and you can also kind of stand up in the water, right? A little bit. Yes, I stand up. There's no gravity. I I could stand up with three feet. I could stand up fully, and my and I do squats up and down. I'm doing these ten, fifteen, and it's shocking my muscles back. It starts my muscles start talking back, and then I'm. Use I have the you know I have these little uh, shoes I wear so you don't you know for the you wear on the like like beach shoes they I use and I I go to the ledge and I practice on my steps to get my technique down for my walk walking on the bottom of the pool doing this all myself and I started and now you can see where I'm at now I'm just I um, now another thing too I forgot my uh, bowel my bowel movement and all that all came back to me. Thank God. So, yeah, I removed the catheter myself. I came back, and now I my bladder, I, when I have to go, I go. I can hold it, everything. The doctor was amazed when I went back for my checkup. He's like, you don't get catheter anymore? I said, no, I pee. You know, I don't, you know. Of course, it had, I mean, it starts coming back. You know, you have to you have to work the bladder, you know, back to where it can hold again and all that. I mean, but you still, know. It doesn't matter, out. man. Thank God, man. Yeah. Now, and then when the when the when all that came back, guess what else came back? Jane. <laughs> Thank God, that's a big one. Goal! That was a huge one. <laughs> that was about six months. And let me tell you something. Yeah. That's gonna help your testosterone too, bro. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thank God. And so uh, so 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 down there, you've come back a long fucking way, bro. Oh yeah, for sure. <sighs> and I'm and I'm and I got more to go. You know, I got more to go. Trust me, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna be on a walker soon, dude. Not in a chair. God willing, and I, and I believe you will be too. God willing, I will. I will. Be. And what I, I love, will be in a walker. And I love how this woman stood by you, man. Oh my God! I just, I just, I just from that point when I came, you know, literally everything. I just told her. I said I completely surrender my life to you. My life is yours because. You know, without you, I wouldn't have this because she she just completely left everything to, to do this. She didn't work. She everything. Amazing that this woman stayed. I couldn't believe it. My mother was like my mother is just like, you know, and she couldn't believe it. She thought she was going to have to sell her house down in Fort Lauderdale, come up here, get me out of my apartment, get me a special place and do all this stuff. And she don't have much money, you know, anymore. She's on a fixed income. As you know, she has her, her little townhouse. You know, she was, I said, mom, please don't do that for me. Brother, you start so, walking. We got to get you back on the show again, man. We're going to get you in the studio here. We're in New York city. God damn right. We'll do whatever we got to do. All to right. make it I don't, I don't want to get shot in the back. After no, I well, things calm down. Let's I'm wrap, just, let's wrap it up yeah. with this one thing. Uh, I would love to go. You, to you, you, let's wrap it up with this, because I don't think this is going to be the last time we speak. So, I hope uh, not. your opinion of marijuana changed. You had told me this at one point. So, yes. how did marijuana play into all of this and the shirt that you're wearing? If you want to show everyone, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hold on. Let me show it to you. I wanted to show it to you, especially because I think you. I think my cough like is not from Corona. 
virus. My cough is not from coronavirus. Like that? I- yeah, I see it. So, so talk to me. Does this? Do you, you think weed played a role in all this? Oh, for sure, for sure. Because I was suffering. We suffer from major para, uh, paraplegics, incomplete spinal injury patients suffer from spasms, and your legs basically, your body goes to war with you, and they happen because of a change in weather, maybe too much exercise, not enough exercise, just because they feel like spasming, so they happen like that. And they want to keep me or they wanted to keep me on Oxycontin and all that shit. And I told them even halfway through the hospital, I was like, I'm not taking that. My brother became a heroin addict because of pills like that. And that's not going to happen to me. So do you think that's how your brother got on heroin? He was given drugs. Yeah, he got he started with pain pills and just graduated. Damn, man. Was it prescribed to him? Do you know? Do you know? know? You don't know. I don't know if the first couple were, but I, I know that um, he, he he would do pretty much anything to get them prescribed to him. You know, after that, he had a car accident and then they, you know, he, they gave him some pain pills and he liked them. And then I think from that point, he started just getting them on the street or whatever and that or getting them from the doctor and then he would sell them. And then, you know, they, they had all kinds of. You know, they, they start rolling around in that stuff, and then he's doing needles. And once that's just, you know, you're, you're, you're from there. You're finished. Just, yeah. Very few come back from that. I've had some amazing stories of that, though. I, I wish, I wish he would have, too. But you know you can't blame yourself for that. You know that. Uh, well, I, I, I know. I, I, I did my, I mean, I did my best. But I was hoping he'd be an amazing story, too. It's a, you know? it's a, it's a. But I was hoping. It's literally like the devil completely takes over you, man. It's like, it's. Yep. Only those who have been there know, or those who have uh-huh. lost family or friends from it. I have lost some very good friends from it, and uh, sure, yeah. devastating to, to lose them at such young ages. And you want to talk about what people should really be scared about compared to this virus? It's really that's the virus, man. That's the fucking yeah. virus, especially really in Florida. Is. You know, across really the country, is. but especially Florida. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And, oh, I come to find out, I watched a special about the pain clinic guy in Palm Beach. He used to go to that place. That's where he used to go. About that, They, they put that guy in federal prison. He belongs there selling he all belongs, that pain. He belongs on a fucking chair. Yeah, same thing with those pharmaceutical companies, too, that pushed it through. Murderers. You know? but, so, brother, but you yeah, start so smoking anyway, weed? Sm- anyway, spasms, bad, interfering with my workout, back pain, constant, chronic. Of course, they cut my back like a fillet. And um, I have a friend, he came over to see me. I've known him for a long time. He's always been a, what you would call a pothead back in my time, you understand? Or a weed advocate. (laughs) A weed advocate. I call him today a prophet because he told me 30 years ago that this shit would would be legal. He was, he was like legal, you know, wearing shirts like make weed legal with like marijuana leaves on the back in the early nineties. Okay, so I call him a prophet now. So he comes over and he says, why don't you smoke some of this? I was happy. Plus, I'm having my PTSD is kicking in real bad. Depression about your brother, anxiety, stress. You're at the top. I have I have very I have bad PTSD from that. And now, (laughs) you know, from my experiences in the war. So and the pain. So he says, why don't you smoke some of this? And I'm here. I am. I'm 45 years old now. And I'm like now, you know, and I'm like. Oh man, I don't want to get into that, man. I don't want to take any drugs. Like, trust me, trust me. What have you got? You know, you know, you're, you know, what are you worried about? And then I took a couple puffs and I just, I sat down and, 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 and 
you know, next thing I know, it was like, I forgot about being paralyzed. You know what I mean? Like my pain went away. It's like, I forgot. It's like, I was just watching TV and I was, you know, in that show, like, you know, and I was just like, it didn't even dawn on me. I had to re remind myself when I later, like, oh, I'm paralyzed. Like, I can't just get up and go get potato chips. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, and, and I said, man, this is amazing. My back feels good. But, you know, so I, of course, the federal government, it's illegal. So I can't get it from the VA. And I, I end up going to a pr uh, private doctor here. I pay out of my pocket and because uh, the VA won't pay and I get it. I get a license to be buy legal cannabis and I go to the cannabis store and I start, you know, using drops and I use um, a flower and and uh, they also have um, uh, pills. And literally, like if I have spasms in the morning when I wake up and my my legs are like this, you know, I couple drops under my tongue, literally that's of the of the cannabis of the uh, THC. It knocks the spasms away. It takes the stress away in my head. It lets me relax. My body relaxes and boom, I just roll right out of bed. Literally. Truly, you know, truly, mean, literally. truly, truly using it for medicinal purposes. Oh yeah. And, and, and people are like, well, you know, CB, I said, listen, if, why are you going to use CBD and not get high? Why use it when you can get high, you can get the benefit and get high and get the euphoric feeling. You know what I mean? Everybody's afraid to admit they like the euphoric feeling. I'm, I'm more of a I'm more of a CBD guy myself, to be honest with you. Okay. No, and that's fine. Whatever works for you. I'm just. But saying. I understand what you're saying. No, I get it. I get it. Yeah, I get the I get CBD and the THC. And I, I use both. I use fresh CBD. Fucking amazing, bro. Amazing. Well, you well you let me you let me use it and I'll and I'll tell you because I got you know I would love I to I would love to send you a couple that. samples of that and try that one the next time the spasms hit I want to see if it has the same effect okay. without without THC it's interesting to see definitely, definitely. I'll send I volunteer you, for the survey for the, yeah, for the study I'll send you a couple of pre rolled from my friend Johnny Johnny mm -hmm. Testayuti he owns the company and I mean this is like okay. the highest grade quality CBD you can get gotcha. out there gotcha and I'll like I said I'll try Curious. it at, you know, and no problem. But I want you, you to know? do it, you know, when you get an attack like that, that's when I want you mm -hmm. to try it. Let's see what happens. Gotcha, yeah. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't okay. work, then flip the other switch back on real quick, you know? I got you, no problem. I'll try it, man, sure. You so know? you heard that's it funny. here, you heard it here, folks. This is a man who's been through hell and back. His entire life has been one long battle. He's been in real battle. He's been in war. He's been inside prisons. He's lost family in tragic circumstances. He's lost the lower part of his body and almost has it all back. He's just got to walk now. That's it. You just got to walk now. You got one battle left. He's found a beautiful woman. You know, he lost his first love through horrible situations in life. But look, God sent him someone even maybe truer, right? Even more amazing. You get my point? So what the, what's the point here? The point is that's why you don't give up because as dark as today is, as horrible, I can't walk. My family died. Everything is horrible. Everything is doom. You had patience, and God came through for you. Sometimes the meaning of your life doesn't even come right away. Even through this battle, you might go through 20 years of suffering, and then in the 21st year, all of a sudden, it makes sense. That's why you can't give up. You are proof of why you can never give up. And once you get back on these feet of yours, and you are, by God's will, you will. Your job is to help other people get back on their feet. What I mean is not just physically, to show them that they can make a comeback folks very honored very happy i had this guy on my show definitely one of my top five 
favorite guest of all time, man. And uh, I look forward to following up with Rob Farlow. I said that correctly, right? Yes, sir, you did. So this is how we always finish it out here on the show. No matter what you've been through in life, no matter how horrible things may seem, no matter how hopeless you may feel, I'm here to tell you that no matter what you've been through in your life, as long as you have air in those lungs, you can always make a comeback. Rob Farlow, the man who will walk again. This is Beck Lover. Until the next time, never give up because the devil wants you to. See you on the next episode. Beck Lover.